I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on a Wednesday. It's our midweek show, Sam. And we've got uh, all sorts of fun here today. We're going to review a little Monday Night Football. Talk about the Tennessee Titans. John Robinson, general manager, surprise firing here in the middle of the season. We have some breaking news about a defensive star being out for the season. We'll get to that in a minute. How's that? Good tease, yeah. Is that good? Well done. Pretty professional? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Working on my segues and teases lately. And, uh, yeah, we got all sorts of fun here today. No guest. No guest here today. No. Too much news. Too much news. So, you want to get into it? Yeah. All right, let's talk Monday Night Football. The Tampa Bay Bucks, back from the dead, with about five minutes left. It was 16-3. to But the Bucks win 17-16. to I know the story is Tom Brady does it again. Another incredible comeback from Tom Brady. But yep. I pose the question to you, Sam. Was this Brady and the Bucks coming back, or was it the Saints giving it away? Well, it was both, right? The Saints gave it, it away, both, yeah. and therefore Tom Brady and the Bucks came back. Um, but it's like, you know, a couple of weeks ago when Tom Brady and the, the Bucks again, they execute that last second, that last minute drive, and it's like, oh, is this something that's going to spark the season? And then, no, not really. It, it doesn't feel like the same thing. It's like, this is how they're going to win games if it's going to happen. Like, we're going to get late in the game, they're still going to have just about enough of a chance, and then Brady's going to take over for like 90 seconds and pull something out of the fire. And if they're not in that situation, they're just done. Like they're not, this isn't, and that's something radical changes in terms of the offense, who's calling plays, whatever. This is not turning around by itself. Like it's not all just gonna coalesce into something better that we've seen before. It's gonna need something changing or just a run of these games where Brady is within touching distance right at the end and can just go, Right, we're running. Hurry up now. Leave me alone. I mean, a, a lot of the Bucks game, though, was like, the, the, first off, the fact that they were struggling to score against the Saints in Tampa Bay, it's like, all right, here we go again. You know, even when they had their best offenses, that was what was happening. The, the most concerning thing about the Bucks this year is that's happening every week. They're struggling yeah. offensively. But it was another one of those early in the game, when there's a good pass, maybe it's dropped. When those there was a few plays where the receivers created separation down the field and Brady's deep ball was way off, um, overthrowing Julio Jones, uh, underthrowing Scotty Miller, over overthrew Julio Jones at a different time. There were big plays to be had there, um, and then again when Brady did make good throws, you'd have like a third down drop or whatever it was. So it was the offense having somebody screw it up, you know, on on any given play. Until you get under five minutes in the fourth quarter and all of a sudden almost everything's clicking. And, and the funny part about that too is they were just pulling out plays that were different. It's like, oh, here's Scotty Miller on a, on a slant where he just you know, wrecks, his, uh, wrecks his defensive back and actually catches the ball. Here's Julio Jones on a back shoulder. They haven't thrown that the entire season. It does feel like the Bucks just dusted off new plays that all of a sudden started working because, hey, it's crunch time and... You know, Tom Brady, he might be 45, but he's he's led these comebacks before, which is crazy. And um, things just did look different down the stretch. We'll see if that does spark something going forward. But they get the 49ers defense next week, so it could be tough. 
But yeah, I mean, we asked this question earlier in the season that, like, is Matt Ryan the most qualified person on the Colts or available to the Colts to just call plays? Just go out there, call your own offense, see what works. I'm, I'm kind of reaching that point with Tom Brady. Like, should the Bucks just turn the offense over to Tom Brady and say, call your own plays, make it work, see you at halftime? First of all, the, the, the first drive, the Bucks moved, they had like 16 plays or whatever. And then they get into the tight red zone and didn't even throw the ball past the sticks. A couple screen passes to nowhere, screen passes to Leonard Fournette. Yeah, there might be an element to that. Um, Brady also wanted to go for it on fourth and long, fourth and seven. This was the controversial Todd Bowles punt with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. Brady's running hurry up after the third down play. And it looks like he checks down on third down, assuming, of course, we're going for it on fourth down. It's 16 to three. It's the fourth quarter. There's seven minutes left. Of course, we're going to go for it. Brady kind of runs hurry up. There's a timeout. They come out of the timeout, and the Bucks punted. And it looked like Todd Bowles was, uh, was given up. But mm. it ended up being the, I mean, obviously, it worked out that the Bucks ended up winning. But that was another example, Brady trying to maybe run the show. I felt like Todd Bowles punted just to be like, I'm the head coach, by the way. I'm the head coach. I'm the head coach, I'm the head coach here. I'm in charge here. Um, from a Saints perspective, it is, it is a rough loss. They had a sequence where second down pass to Mark Ingram. He runs out of bounds just before the, fir- the first down marker. So it becomes third and one. Ingram yeah. pulls up hurt. We just got a report here. He's got an MCL injury. And was apparently already hurt before the play. Like, yeah. He was banged up a there. couple times in that game. <clears throat> right. Um, but that ended up proving huge. Not because he went out of bounds. There was six minutes left, and that didn't stop the clock, right? You can't stop the clock outside of five minutes, despite what the Madden video game tells you, where the clock always stops when you run out of bounds. At least it did growing up. Back in, like, 1994? I think they they may have since changed that, okay. but for years that was the case. For years. I think it screwed everybody's clock management skills. Um, but then on third and one, Andy Dalton, you know, they run a, they, they call a run play. They call it a fullback dive, and Andy Dalton pulls it to throw a slant, gets knocked down. Stops the clock, and then the Saints punt from Bucks territory as well. So, oh, that was the other time where Todd Bowles punted that uh, I think Brady was upset about. There was the meme with him screaming on the sideline. Hmm. There was some some conservative play again from from Bowles and the Bucks that you know again ended up working out. It did. It this so the Bucks felt like they won the game despite some decision making when it comes to calling plays or whatever um and then the saints appear to lose because of those as well like this is part of why andy dalton has much better pff grades than a lot of people are expecting andy dalton had another good game he did but was let down by conservative play calling there's some statistic out there where the saints have i don't think they've ever gone for it on fourth down when there was a decision that says go for it and that you know the the win probability models say this is close but go for it they've never gone more aggressive than the model once this season and like that you know this is what happens when you do that you end up underachieving now i i wonder how much of that's just a defensive coach because when when todd bowles does it or dennis allen does it it does feel like they're saying "I'm, i'm trusting my defense right and as i tweeted during the game trusting your defense isn't actually a football strategy right that's a hope that's not actually thinking about what could go right what could go wrong weighing the odds it's literally saying i run this side of the ball 
I have faith in my guys. We're going to execute. It's basically just saying, I think we're going to execute better, but not weighing in how likely you are to execute or anything like that, right? I mean, that's what that's what punting basically is. It's saying, I'm trusting my defense, hashtag trust your defense, to make a stop because we're going to get the ball back. When you're not really taking into account how well your defense is playing, how well the offense is playing, the time that's going to come off the clock and all that all that stuff when you do it. So it's just like saying my strategy is to pressure the quarterback with four-man rush. Mm. That's a hope. It's a hope, not a strategy. I, I'm a little bit sad that the Saints didn't actually win this game. Just for the chaos, it would have thrown the division into even more than it already is. I know, it would be nice. Like Tampa Bay now take a commanding, you know, one-game lead at the top of this division at 500. If they lost, all of a sudden they would have been, what, 5-7? and seven? Uh, the Saints would have been five and eight. The Falcons, Falcons also five and, five and eight, and then Carolina at four and eight with you know their next game to come. I that just would have been funnier. It is a commanding lead for the Bucks, who have the tiebreaker for sure over the Saints, and as of now over the Falcons. But they don't have the tiebreaker over the Panthers, who beat them earlier this season, and they still have to play. So we're back yet. to this idea of Tampa Bay at five hundred currently is going to stumble their way into the playoffs and host a playoff game. You know, host a team like Dallas, maybe. Yeah, that's what it's like. That is the most likely scenario right now. Yeah. Dallas going into Tampa Bay, which if the, the, way if the Bucks, Dallas, sorry, no, yeah, Dallas, Dallas going, going into sorry. Tampa Bay. And if the Bucks <laughs> can actually get by Tampa Bay, I mean, if, if Tampa Bay can actually get by the Cowboys somehow, they and by the way, Minnesota, uh, they play the Eagles, actually. Think so, of the last most two games. Like, they stomped Dallas at the start of this year, right? Yeah. And then last year, week one again, it was that close, week one. Uh, really close game, high-scoring affair. So they've beaten them the last couple of times they played, yeah. albeit before like the wheels fell off this wagon. And it we feels just... different in Dallas now, though, doesn't it? The and, offense is starting to come together. And in Tampa Bay. And in Tampa Bay. It does feel a lot different. So, um, so yeah, I think the Saints made mistakes mm-hmm. at the end. And then... Um, Brady has some ridiculous record when down 10 in the, you know, inside of 12 minutes in the fourth quarter, something like that. He's won like one out of every five games, some ridiculous number in, in his career, much like some of those Patrick Mahomes comeback type of numbers. Brady still, even at 45, somehow finding ways to, to pull it out. So the, the Bucks scored the game winning touchdown with three seconds left. Rashad White finds the end zone. Brady also threw a game winning touchdown that got negated by the penalty. Yeah. By a holding penalty. That was probably his best throw of the night. Donovan Smith. Yeah, Donovan Smith with a quick holding. Brady after the after the game said, How it's like, how was there a, I threw that immediately. Yeah. You know, and if you're summing up the Bucks issues this year, it is that, right? Like Brady's throwing a lot of things immediately. Donovan Smith Zero trust from the Oak. Quietly O-line. kind of regressed back to early career Donovan Smith, where he was kind of bad. Yeah. And then he improved steadily. And then last year was actually really good with Brady, obviously helping him out with the quick time to throw stuff. But even the year before that was his best season in the NFL. Last couple of years, this season, like this is the worst pass blocking grade he's had since 2016. He was hurt back in week two, I believe it was, one or two. I don't know if there's still lingering effects there, Yeah, but it's his worst, could be something there. It's his worst overall grade ever, and it's getting worse. I mean, his best two games this season, his best three games all came in the first month, uh, first six weeks, rather, of the season. It's get like the last few games have been rough. 
All right, so that's Monday Night Football. A reminder that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Planning to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. You get your Western and Southern mug right there. The Western and Southern mug. We've got the Western and Southern studios. It's all powered by Western and Southern. Yeah, so we appreciate our friends over at Western and Southern. So be sure to go. Go check it out if you haven't already. Westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Because guess what? They have something for everybody there. Mm-hmm. Something for everybody. I'll tell you who's not for everybody is Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Segways. Yeah. And teases today. Uh-huh. Where are you, full-time studio job? I'm ready. I'm ready for the gig. Nice. Uh, Baker Mayfield's been claimed by the Los Angeles Rams. Yes. Um, I want to dig into my sources here. I have, um, I have texted Rams quarterback coach Zach Robinson. Okay, on the he, record. Yes. Here's what I have on the record. I texted, <laughs> quote, Baker, exclamation point, end quote. Yeah. I have yet to receive a response from Zach okay. Robinson. Okay. But um, just wanted to say I have, I have texted the Rams quarterback coach. No response. He must just be riddled with excitement and unprepared for an official statement at this time. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <sighs> do, you have, do you have any thoughts, Baker Mayfield being claimed by the Los Angeles? I have a few thoughts. Um, so the Rams picked... Uh, were fourth in the waiver claiming order thing. So they're pretty high up. Um, I, it, it's kind of, it, it's a no-win situation for Baker, I think, unfortunately. In a weird way, you think, well, Baker plus uh, Sean McVay, that's great to potentially resuscitate your career. On the other hand, this isn't the Rams' offense this year. This is like a collection of guys that are left over when the Rams' offense has got hurt. So they already have the worst offensive line in the NFL. They have no receivers left. The offense doesn't function without an offensive line. And now you're going to throw Baker out there potentially on two days' notice. They said there was a chance he would play Thursday. Should we spin this right into a Thursday night preview since we don't have a guest? Yeah, if you like. Let's do that. So we're also previewing Thursday night. It's Raiders-Rams, by the way. Uh, Rams, uh, sorry. The the Rams are getting six at home against the Raiders. I, I don't think... First off, I don't think this move is for this year. The move's not for this year. Well, except it's the last year of Baker's deal. So you're, you're, just, kind of, getting a lo- you're just getting a look at him, get him in the building. Well, yeah, the, so the look is, the reason you claim him is because if this Matthew Stafford injury is potentially career-ending right. and you're the Rams, all of a sudden you have no quarterback at all for the future and no real aim at getting one. Because, yeah, no first-round pick. Because you traded your picks away yeah. all the time. And in you know, to get a guy like Matthew Stafford. So if that's the reality of what they're looking at, they're in a really tough spot for what they're going to do next year. So a guy like Baker Mayfield, who, okay, this year was garbage. The year before that was injured garbage. And then the year before that was good. So it's the time, the last time we saw Baker Mayfield play well is getting further and further in the rearview mirror. On the other hand, it did exist and it was in the NFL. So it is a relevant data point. It was also in an offense that bears, um, you know, as a family tree relative of the one he's going into. So these are reasons why you would at least kick the tires on a Baker Mayfield. And again, in this world of like, what are your options? Could Baker Mayfield be a starting caliber quarterback in this offense in future? Yes. Uh, So it's worth looking at. But 
if you're planning on like throwing him out there right now, like Matthew Stafford looks like crap in this offense at the moment. What do you think Baker Mayfield is going to look like? I mean, just as bad as John Wolford or Bryce right. Perkins or anybody. So it's almost like if you're Baker, this feels like the thing that ends your career. Because you're going to go there to, the, to connect nah, yourself I to mean, the quarterback guru and you're going to look as bad as he did in Carolina. And now everyone's going to like, well, it was three years since he saw even the halfway viable play in three different offenses. He's done. Get what's, him the, out. what's the alternative? Where would Baker rather go? I mean, his, his well, career is already hanging. San Francisco, if it made it that far. I mean, his career is already hanging by a thread. He was demoted to third string in Carolina behind P.J. Walker and Sam Darnold. I mean, that's the bigger issue is that in Carolina with what when he was running the show, the offense looked worse than it looked in most P.J. Walker games and in one Sam Darnold game. That's the more damning yeah. part of Baker Mayfield's career right here. Which is why I almost feel like the, you're better off if you're Baker Mayfield taking a seat for the rest of the year and hoping you catch on somewhere in the offseason. Uh, we need we need like a montage of you historically basically saying the best thing for Baker Mayfield is not playing football. The Isn't best it, thing for his value is to never play. If you never play football again, your value will remain high. I believe I've been proven correct in that. Like, I said he should have shut it down early last season, and not doing so not only cost him that job, it put him in a worse job, which has potentially ruined his career. So we've gone from, are you going to get a pretty healthy long-term extension for the Browns, to you might be better advised sitting down for the rest of the year just to survive was- on the bottom of a roster in the league. That was like when Renner had the take on Dak after yeah. his first season. He's like, oh, Dak should just sit out the next three seasons and cash in year five. Yes. Like, that, I don't think it works like that. He's like, he's like, oh, his value will never be higher. He yeah. had a great rookie season. He'll cash in four years from now. That one I don't think made any sense. But I stand by the idea that Baker Mayfield should have shut himself down once he wrecked his shoulder last year. And not doing so has cost him money, status, and a job. I, I think the bigger thing here is, um, yes, the Rams did it. Because, unfortunately, it sounds like Stafford's injury could, could be career-ending. Not so much the specific injury, but also remember, he had the back injury in Detroit. I don't know how related that is. That didn't seem that bad, but it just randomly shut him down about halfway through the season. 2018, 19, whatever that was. Um, what was it, 20? Whatever it was. And then the fact that Stafford got the Super Bowl last year, they, he had concussion issues before this spine issue right here the 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 injuries have added up for Stafford here he's been beat up a lot he has been really beat up he got the Super Bowl you know I think there's a lot of things pointing to is this could be it for for Matthew Stafford if he wants to go out on a somewhat high note right I mean last year this this year was rough but (laughs) the high note being over the last two over the last two years of my career I know if you forget last year we won the Super Bowl, right? I mean, I'm just saying, if that is the case, it puts the Rams in this mix, like you said, where they're looking to free agency, they're trading for someone, you know, they're they're getting a look right now at Baker Mayfield. It's a next year move. Why not? Now, will he play on Thursday night? I doubt it. I just don't think you get anything useful out of him at this point. Like, I guess whatever useful information you're gleaning from Baker Mayfield is not taking place on the field during the games. Yeah, like it's whatever it's whatever Zach thinks of him in the meeting room. It's whatever he does in practice. It's not when he gets out there and his offensive line is getting murdered every single play and he's heaving the ball to the defense under pressure. Like this is not a viable situation. I mean, it, like I said, it's not it's not viable for any of the quarterbacks. Matthew Stafford, John Wolford, they're all bad. It's not working. The offense stinks. 
So let's assume, I mean, Wolford was banged up at the end of that game too, whether it's John Wolford or Bryce Perkins starting for the Rams. They're number 32 now in our power rankings on offense at pff.com. As we said, it's a six-point spread. It's the second time this year the Raiders feel like maybe they've turned the corner. Maybe they figured it out. They have won three straight. So at five and seven, Raiders teasing to go six and seven, and they're right on that cusp of the teams just outside the playoff picture. A Jets collapse opens the door for teams like the Raiders, the Steelers, the Patriots, Chargers to get back in the playoff picture here. Are the Raiders legitimately in that mix where they can sneak in as that seven seed? They're in the mix. I mean, anytime you have... Um... In the hunt, actually. I should say hashtag in the hunt. True. That's the only uh, allowed term. Um, anytime you have Devontae Adams and Derek Carr and those two actually working together, it's you've got the potential to make some things happen. Josh Jacobs is also currently you know, an all-pro caliber running back this season. Uh, so that's helping. The offensive line has gotten a lot better as the season's worn on. And, you know, that final spot, the Jets, like, they play Buffalo this week. If they get a – if the Raiders get a break there with, with the Jets losing to Buffalo, that would be big for them trying to make that spot. So, yeah, they're, they're in the mix. They're in the hunt, on the bubble, whatever you want to say. I think it's probably a little bit too far away. It's too late, too little too late. But – They've got a shot. Devontae Adams was fantastic last week. We get to see him against Jalen Ramsey head-to-head just a little bit in this one. How's Aaron Donald doing? I haven't checked his... uh... I don't think he's going to be playing this week. I think he'll be playing next week. We mentioned on the show the the Rams just unlocking pass rushers left and right later in the season without Aaron Donald. He was usually the... uh... The cheat code. It was something like 10 different guys had double... Or not double digit. Double... More than one. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Ten different guys had, like, multiple pressures last week with no Donald on the field. As a Rams fan, you're kind of rooting for all those, you know, the depth players, right? Who are the, who's going to be part of the rebuild here in Los Angeles? Wasn't expecting to say that for the Rams, but they're definitely in danger of falling to 3-10. and 10, um, But you want to see where this depth is on right. this Rams roster for the future years here. Only six different guys, but still, like nobody's been getting any pressure all year for six different guys that have multiple pressures in one game against a reasonable pass blocking team is saying, crazy saying Donald's overrated I say I'm saying Donald should be pissed off that no, no, like where the hell were you guys when I've been here Josh Jacobs at running back the most valuable running back in the NFL this year 93.4 grade he's got about 24 or 20 or so uh, force missed tackles more than any other running back so Jacobs running really well right now you've got Adams and Carr you know, really finding their stride here. I I like the Raiders in this one to cover the six. What was my final tally last week? You, get you got a winning record, I think. Yeah. Only by one game, maybe. But Quick instincts. It was winning. Quick instincts to get yeah. back on track here. Uh, I also like the Raiders to cover the six. All right. We didn't have a guest this week, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. Did our little, uh, we just pivoted to our, our Thursday night football preview. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Where's my friends at Manscaped? I, okay. I'm doing this. I'm, we're going to do this together. Full disclosure. I haven't read what Manscaped has put in front of us. The read. Yes. I have not read the read yet. So we're going to do it together as a family. You ready? Mm-hmm. It's never too early to play holiday music, and it's never too early to start thinking about gifts. Whether it's for a friend or the friends in your pants, you can make this a season to be jolly with Manscaped. Do your little drummer boy a favor. I probably should have read this ahead of time. And use the lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. 
Then add in Manscaped's top-of-the-line shower products to have the people thinking, all I want for Christmas is you. Hmm. People love that song. I don't know why. Santa cares about his sack, and so should you. Such an obvious one. Look nice when you get naughty by going to manscapes.com slash pffnfl. That's manscapes.com slash pffnfl for free shipping and 20% off. I'm not going to read the part that says do, do not read. No, don't I do won't that. do that. Yeah. I know not to do that. The Manscaped Platinum Plus, or, I'm sorry, Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. He has everything needed to help you deck the halls from face to balls just in time for mistletoe season. Deck the halls from Somebody, face to balls. They must hire some like. That's you. Like, just writers specifically for this, which is incredible. I appreciate our friends at Manscapes. The Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And for the perfect stocking stuffer, add in the brand new Body Buffer. Hmm. An incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and a lot cleaner than that old loofah. So save 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscapes.com slash PFFNFL. That's right, 20% off plus free shipping going to manscapes.com slash PFFNFL. NFL. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. How's that? Perfect. We're just honest with everybody. Just want to be honest. We're all doing it together. We're getting in this together. Appreciate our friends over at Manscaped. All right, I want to touch on the Titans really quickly here. John Robinson, the general manager, fired. It was a bit of a shock here, not only the time of the season, but if you look at the totality of the Titans the last couple of years, it's been good. More good than bad, Yeah. as I described my former boss yesterday. I said, Neil, hasn't always been good, but it's been more good than bad hanging out with you. Hmm. Right? That's been the Titans, right, with John Robinson? It has, but it's also been, you know, we, part of the reason we've never quite been able to understand the Titans over the last few years has been it always feels like they're overachieving relative to the talent level of the roster. So the guy in charge Fair. of the talent level of the roster, it's like, are you, what are you bringing to the table here? Because it feels like we're carrying this thing and you're dragging us down. What if we just got rid of you and then we're not being dragged down anymore? I, just, I, I saw a lot of people citing the, the player personnel misses, right? Here's why John Robinson's out, because uh, first-rounder Caleb Farley can't see the field. Mm-hmm. Of course, you traded A.J. Brown last year, replaced him with Traylon Burks. Um, Isaiah Wilson saw three snaps on Neil Downs as a Titan. He was a first-round pick, and the specific player misses. And the only thing I'll say about that is I don't think the general manager's job is just to hit on draft picks. It's just to pick the right players. He is the general manager, as we've said a lot of times, is the CEO, right? He is the information gatherer and decision maker, right? It wasn't like John Robinson's draft board that had Isaiah Wilson. It was a, it's a team effort. It's everybody that's on the staff, right? I think part of the problem, though, is the process. And, uh, again, a lot of people are like, well, they, A.J. Brown just torched them, right? Your big mistake was right in your face. Mm-hmm. But I think it's deeper than that, right? I think the mistake was made when they traded A.J. Brown because the rest of the league was pivoting to looking for and A.J. Brown. The story of the season, Sam, the thing we talked about all offseason, A.J. Brown in a new place, and Tyree Kill in a new place, and Devontae Adams in a new place, and A.J. Brown and Tyree Kill have transformed their offense with quarterbacks who had never had this level of success previously. Transformed it. And Devontae Adams, man, if he finishes strong, pretty legit season from him too, even if, even if it hasn't transformed the Raiders. So the Titans were going, they're feeding the beast that the rest of the NFL 
is, is pursuing here, which is wide receiver one transforming our offense. I think this is as much a failure of process as it is, hey, we picked the wrong players. Because everybody's going to pick the wrong players. And I'm going to give an example to back this up in just a second. But your thoughts on that. I feel like it was more, you, just, you don't trade this elite wide receiver, who, by the way, could have been the reason why Ryan Tannehill all of a sudden looked so much better in his years in Tennessee than he did in Miami. Not Derrick Henry, not the running game, but A.J. Brown single-handedly could be the reason for Ryan Tannehill's career rejuvenation, and you shouldn't have taken the chance to find out if that was if that was the case. Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree that the A.J. Brown thing was a bad call, um, and it seemed like a bad—this is not one of those hindsight 2020 things. A.J. Brown's doing great. Philadelphia looks fantastic. Tennessee can't find a wide receiver. Therefore, it was bad. It's—it didn't cost that much money, so a lot of which— you know, if they just got rid of A.J. Brown, kind of like um, the, the Chiefs with Tyreek Hill. If you just got rid of him because he didn't want to pay the giant sum of money, which, by the way, was a lot more for Hill than it is for Brown. Um, and then you didn't really spend that money elsewhere and you still have a giant net saving. That would be one thing. But Tennessee reinvested a bunch of that money in getting Robert Woods, who's coming off like an ACL injury. So you're not saving that much and you're reinvesting a giant chunk of it in a much bigger risk than a guy like A.J. Brown. So that whole process felt weird at the time. And it's even worse when it turns out that Mike Vrabel wasn't on board with it and evidently from the outset had no desire at all to trade A.J. Brown. So all of a sudden, not only have you taken the risk that that's the right move, but you've taken a, you've doubled down on the risk because now you're at odds with other power brokers within the building, you know? So yeah. it's one thing to take a gamble it's another thing to take a gamble that only you are into and everybody else is on the other side of because now you're out on a limb and everyone else is on the other side, you know, hanging to the trunk of the tree waiting to see if you fall down. That honestly is what I think has happened is you go into this game, A.J. Brown absolutely embarrasses the Titans. I would imagine there was some kind of reckoning after that with the power brokers within the building of, hey, how come we traded him away? You know, we could have used A.J. Brown today. No. And that conversation may not have gone too well. And consequently, John Robinson's gone. But so I agree that that particular process of trading away A.J. Brown was bad. I also think that, you know, you can look at an Isaiah Wilson and say, well, that's just bad luck. Who could have seen that coming? You know, it happens all the time. Busts. You never see him coming. But that was such a like that guy went from first round pick to off the rails completely in like five minutes yeah i refuse to believe for a second that you could not have seen that coming if you talked to him for 15 minutes i just i don't believe that somebody that gone is able to keep it together for an interview before you pick this guy in the first round so yeah he also probably was a third round prospect not a first round but right one of two things has happened there either you missed all the signs that were there, like the Ryan Leaf thing, right? Where he's having, he's doing the interview from the hot tub with his giant gut hanging over him <laughs> from the banquet circuit while Peyton Manning's in the film room grinding at Tennessee, right? Like if you didn't see that as a problem, that's an issue. You painted a credible picture. Um, or you just, you didn't do that due diligence. Yeah. So either you didn't see it or you didn't even check. Either one of which is a massive problem or a massive issue with how you're doing things in the personnel side. Yeah, so uh, look, I think the missed first-round picks, whatever, um, are part of it. I, the only thing I'll say is the, the process trumps all of that stuff, right? So the Philadelphia Eagles 
who are they have the best record in the NFL. They have a top five pick as of right now next year, and they look and they're a Super Bowl contender. A year ago, they looked like a team that could be rebuilding, and they have they have turned it around extremely quickly. The model franchise right now, the way the Eagles have have done business. The Eagles missed on Justin Jefferson, right? They missed on Justin Jefferson. They picked Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter because in that same draft, they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. And I'm going to say Jalen Hurts in the second round was a process pick. Not so much. Maybe it was a player evaluation pick. Maybe they were like, hey, Jalen Hurts is a first round player. He fell to us in the second. We're just going to take him. But to me, that was a process pick. The process being... Keep drafting quarterbacks. The, the, the payout is incredible. If he hits, imagine what we can do. Even if he's a good backup, there's still value there. It was a just great process. And that's what's paying off right now for the Eagles. Over time, they're just making shrewd moves. And Jalen Hurts is one of them, drafting him when they already had Carson Wentz. And now he's a starter on a rookie contract who's playing well. And the payoff is incredible. In addition to the James Bradbury moves that we keep citing, right? After the draft, you don't lose a comp pick. You get him for pennies on the dollar, and you fill a valuable spot at cornerback. The Eagles' process is consistently good, consistently good, consistently good. When they made, on the surface, one of the most egregious misses, they picked Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, in hindsight, right? So it's not about missing players. I think it's about having consistent, sound team-building process. And again, I think that's where, more than the missed players, maybe the Titans started to fall behind just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but the process is also connected to missing and hitting on players. Like, good process is never going to save you from every miss in the world because sometimes there are going to be ones that you simply couldn't see coming. But good process will save you from a lot of ones that you could see coming and just didn't if you weren't checking or if you didn't have good process. Again, like the Ryan Leaf thing seems really obvious in hindsight, but it isn't even hindsight. Like, I, Ryan Leaf's bust or the, the, the bust that Ryan Leaf became changed the way teams scout the draft. Because I think teams re went back and looked at a lot of the stuff from before and realized we really should have seen this coming. Like this was not hidden. This was pretty obvious that this guy was going to have problems at the next level. This was not something you couldn't have seen coming. It was just a toss up and we got the wrong guy. We got unlucky. No, you didn't get unlucky. You got bad. You just didn't think that what is an obvious issue right now is about to become an obvious issue as soon as we give them millions of dollars. So I think the Eagles have sound process and therefore are protected from picks like that generally. Now, that doesn't give you a 100% hit rate in the draft. It means, but, but it restricts your misses to like, you know, ones that a lot of other people would have made as well. Like Justin Jefferson was not the consensus number one wide receiver in that board. A lot of people had Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson in that draft class. A lot of people didn't, but the point being, it was a debatable thing. Like the Isaiah Wilson pick, I don't think is in the same category. That was one that I think most people would have dodged. And the fact that Tennessee didn't and have had a bunch of other misses seems to me to speak to bad process in addition, or bad process, which is leading to bad picks. All right, the Titans are sitting at 7-5 and five here after 13 weeks in the NFL season. They've been pretty good. We'll see what happens going forward. But I think we can all agree Mike Vrabel has done a fantastic job there. And a lot of their success the last couple of years has been Vrabel helping taking this team that's been like nine, like a 9-7 and seven team for years and making them AFC title contenders, at least, you know, being in the mix there. So, yeah, I don't know. There also could just be something else behind the scenes going on with John Robinson and the Titans. But... Bit of a surprise here at this point. All right, let's talk Vaughn Miller. 
AFC favorites right now, the number one seed in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills. Vaughn Miller officially out for the season. They were hoping it would just be a few weeks, but the knee injury, they um, they checked it out. Looks like ACL is torn and his season's going to be over. Yeah, they'd been kind of hanging around uh, waiting for the surgery that he was going to need. They had exploratory surgery, which turned out to, or turned up a torn ACL, um, which was something that I think a lot of the a lot of the kind of Twitter doctor people, you know, the, the medical people that are all around Twitter commenting on sports injuries and all those kinds of things, a lot of those people had suspected that right away yeah. and were kind of surprised that it hadn't been thus far in the, in the diagnosis. But once they got in there to do surgery, they discovered, yep, yeah, ACL and Von Miller shut down for the year, which I think is a really big blow for Buffalo because that pass rush has not been the same since Von Miller hasn't been out there. Um, and even guys... This is where I think it's a real issue. So Von Miller leads the Bills by a mile in pressure. He's got 45. Um, the next closest guy's got 27. Uh, so it's a big gap. He's also got one of the best uh, pass rushing grades on the team. He obviously made a difference. But what's also interesting is early in the season when Von Miller was playing really well and getting a ton of pressure, everybody else was grading really well as well. Like yeah. the, the, He was having an effect beyond just what he, he brought. He was a a force multiplier to that pass rush. Nice. Now, Gregory Rousseau's pass rushing grade has dropped from 90 to 83. Still good, but that's a notable drop off. Um, and everybody else has dropped as well. So if that's the effect this is going to have, not just the loss of Von Miller, but actually the diminishing effect of everybody else as well, that's a big, big blow to this Bills defense, which early in the year had, I think, unquestionably the best pass rush in the league. Yeah, plus, plus Vaughn's always been a really good run defender. He was grading well there, too. So, you know, sets the edge well, makes plays when needed there. Bills uh, Bills have needed whatever they can get as far as run game help over the last couple of years because they've always been a little bit lighter up front. Ed Oliver's having a really nice disruptive season in the run game, but there's still question marks there. And I think the biggest thing is just play off Vaughn, right? Like, he just had that ability to put together those 10 pressure games. He did it last year for the Rams. He was such a factor on multiple Super Bowl runs with the with the Broncos, with the Rams. That was as much what the Bills were banking on, right? It wasn't just the regular season success. It was like when this guy, when when we're calling on him to step it up, he's got that he's got that clutch factor in the playoffs. He played his best ball, even with the Rams last year. He had some games where he wasn't great in the regular season, but during the playoff run, he was fantastic. So it does it does feel like the Bills lose the the cherry on top of this beautiful roster and well-constructed multiple years of work that they've put into the roster. They lose the cherry. It doesn't end their season or anything like that. It just you know makes it a little bit more difficult to uh, to put it all together on the Super Bowl run here. I mean, yeah. Look, we were talking about Von Miller as a player or a difference maker that tra- that changes the Bills from last year to this year. It goes from yeah, you're one of the contenders. You're right up there. You're maybe the best team, too. This was the unquestionable best team in the NFL heading into the season. They were the consensus number one team in the league. They were the consensus number one roster in the NFL. And a lot of that was because they broadly had the same team as last year, but they had a guy like Von Miller, and we saw the impact that could make to, again, not just uh, the defense overall, but everybody else along it. Now that's not there anymore. So you immediately go... Like, you chop out one of the legs of the, the thing that was uh, putting Buffalo as such a heavy favorite this year. And like you said, it doesn't end their season or anything, but I think it firmly 
throws them back into the pack as opposed to, you know, a clear favorite. I think it puts them right back in the mix with Cincinnati and Kansas City and, you know, everybody else now. All right. Do we uh, we had, had this on our list of uh, things to do. Do we want to do this uh, autopsy on the eliminated teams? Yeah, why not? There's only right. two of them. So two teams have officially been eliminated from playoff contention, the Houston Texans and the Chicago Bears. We've done this in the past. We'll, uh, I don't know if we'll do it for every team leading into the offseason, but we'll do a little uh, post-mortem, a little autopsy on the teams that have been eliminated. What happened this season? Mm. So let's start with the Houston Texans. What went right and what went wrong for the Houston Texans? Uh, nobody played well, and they don't have great coaching. It's bad football. They don't have anything, really. So, bad football. You know, yeah, Houston was always likely to struggle, and the question was, like, what players can they find this year, essentially? Like, it's the start of the rebuild. Yeah. We're not even really into the process of really kicking it going, but who can show up and at least show signs of encouragement? And, okay, you've got a couple. Um, Laramie Tunsil has been playing probably as well as he's ever played. You kind of already knew that. Damian Pierce, the rookie running back, has looked fantastic. It hasn't mattered so much because the rest of the offensive line isn't good, so his uh, ability to succeed has not been great. Nico Collins has played, you know, okay and looks like he could be part of a receiving core going forward. It hasn't really worked with Brandon Cooks, and he's been, he was pissed off that he didn't trade him away, so that hasn't been great. Um, the pass rush hasn't looked like we thought it would. You know, they... They bring in Jerry Hughes, which is guaranteed 45 pressures a year, and he's going to hit that and comfortably exceed it, actually, um, even after a slow start. But then uh, Jonathan Grenard was supposed to kick on after a really impressive performance last year in limited snaps. The guy's got eight pressures this year in four games, you know, hasn't just hasn't been yeah. a factor. Uh, Okoronkwo brought in to be a, another potential guy who can get a bigger role. Again, hasn't really happened. But, 12 games, almost no snaps, 15 pressures. But so, even then, he like Okoronkwa, that, that's my issue right now. Is he's, he's their highest-graded player. You know, he's a, he's, I think he's just a nice player to have on a good team. Yeah. They signed him to a one-year deal, though. Right. right? It's but, like, so what is the, what's even the point of that deal? I'm okay with that deal, even if it costs you more money, if he looked, you know, if he justified it. If he was like, yeah, he, he did play better in a better role, and now we invest in him, and he's a long-term cornerstone of this defense. But my point being... They kind of swung at all these guys, and almost none of them have done anything. Uh, and then, obviously, Derek Stingley was the cornerstone, like the first big piece that you add. And he's been fine. Um, not great. He's been banged up a little bit as well with a hamstring. And it's made, you know, it's, you, I'm not saying you necessarily regret the pick, but it, it doesn't help when you're looking at Sauce Gardner over there becoming yeah. defensive rookie of the year, looking like an all-pro. And you're like, yeah, Stingley's nice, and... Sure, he can probably get there, but it would definitely be nice if we had an all-pro corner. <laughs> yeah, the, the bottom line for the Texans is everything you mentioned, plus their top three draft picks are Derek Stingley, guard Kenyon Green, safety Jalen Petrie. They're all grading in the 40s, right? They're all grading in the 40s. Have they all shown flashes and signs? And do I think they could still get there? Sure. Stingley especially. Yeah. Petrie's leading the NFL in missed tackles. You know, that's... He's unlikely to miss 25 to 30 tackles every single season, so that could get better. Unlikely for that to keep up. Offensive linemen take a while to get going sometimes, but Kenyon Green has a pass blocking grade at 26. Yeah. Right? He's also faced an absolute murderer's row of yeah. interior guys in the last... The NFL. That's the NFL. You have to do it. So, at the beginning of the season, we said, what can we expect from the Texans? Hoping you find some players to build around other than Damian Pierce. Yeah, I don't know. A running back. If they have, you didn't get that next step from Davis Mills, although he's back as the starter. Um, 
which, which in itself is all right. So you just didn't get much from this season, yeah, by way of either wins or excitement for the future. Yeah. So um, Texans, rest in peace. Yeah, I mean the only good news for the Texans is the future, and not even like you know, not even that you've shown as in it has to get better from here no as in like you've you've amassed picks you know you can now actually deploy the things that you got from the deshaun watson trade you're probably going to be picking number one overall like you right have, now projected to be i think first and 13th overall yeah much so, like similar to last year right so that part of it is good yeah you know you you're you are set up well to have quite a lot of resources to be able to throw at this thing but presumably number one overall is going to go on a quarterback and then whatever you add with, with the mid-teen pick or whatever it's going to be. All right, let's go uh, Chicago Bears. They are also officially eliminated from playoff contention. But uh, I think we had a similar story as we had with the Texans. What are we looking for this year? You're looking for year two quarterback development. You're looking for the players to build around. They, they stripped the entire roster down, you know, drafted a ton this year. I think you're going to be a lot more optimistic in Chicago given the way this season went than, say, Houston. Yeah. Because the big difference between the two is Justin Fields. Right. Um, you know, starting the year, the big concern was, is this team even going to be viable enough for you to get a read on Justin Fields? Um, which, to be honest, is not, it's not even as much of a concern for Chicago as it is for, for Fields. Because if the answer was no, and Fields just looked bad, whether or not he was bad, uh, they were going to be in the same situation, which is right now they're currently picking number two overall. So... For Chicago, it didn't really matter because if Fields didn't look good, you would pick number two overall, you draft a quarterback, and then, okay, unlucky Fields, but you've moved on, you've got your guy, in theory. Um, but for Fields, it was a big issue because that guy could have failed for reasons completely outside of his control. But as it's happening, he isn't. He's, they've pivoted the offense, they're working more to his strengths, and he looks great and improving over the last few weeks. And if that's the case, that they have their quarterback and they're picking number two overall, that's outstanding because it makes them a prime candidate to trade down and get even more picks. Yeah, you could probably pick. I mean, I assume the Bears are going to be looking for Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, two of the best defensive linemen, if not the best in the draft. The trade down is always intriguing, though, especially with multiple quarterbacks potentially going in the first and the jockeying and all that stuff. The Bears are firmly in the middle of a rebuild. Their defense has a ton of holes. Um, but I think you also saw Jaquan Brisker, when he's been healthy, has been good. Um, Kyler Gordon's been okay, but uh, excited about Brisker. And I think you're excited about the offensive line-ish. Uh, they've been very well protected. And our grades are can't fully, maybe, uh, show that because they've, they've been asked to run block a little bit more. They've been protected a little bit. But when you have a fifth rounder like Braxton Jones... They've improved a lot. Yes, they've definitely been much better. You see Tevin Jenkins coming in, playing well in year two. Braxton Jones is a rookie. At guard, which is an important Right, they moved Jenkins into guard. You have starters for next season, right? You're going to have three-fifths of your offensive line between Braxton Jones at left tackle, Cody Whitehair at left guard, and Tevin Jenkins at right guard. Three-fifths of your offensive line definitely locked in for next year. I might be missing somebody if there's injuries there, but... I think Larry Borum is a decent Larry Borum, you're feeling much better about the line. And And you're feeling incredible about Justin Fields' playmaking. And it did. The line showed that when Fields wasn't there and they had to run with um, Trevor Simeon, it still stayed okay. Like, it didn't didn't immediately turn back into a pumpkin the second they weren't running a goofy 
option laden offense where everybody has to defend things differently and you're like okay the offense isn't actually any or the offensive line isn't actually any better it's just justin fields like they lost fields trevor simeon comes in who is not anything like the same kind of quarterback and the offensive line still played well okay against a defense that isn't necessarily gonna expose it too much but i think it is fair to say that this line is much better now than it was at the start of the year and then it looked like it could be so you're right it's like not necessarily excited by it but the fact that that offensive line at least has some viable players in it going forward is huge it's not a complete overhaul up front and right. here's here's the other thing here's my question to you though are they going to regret the chase claypool trade if we're talking about the bears picking top of the second round that's what they gave up right for yeah. uh, for claypool their second round pick top of the second round for chase claypool to get a look at him early get about a year and a half of service time out of claypool i feel like you want to see a lot more from him to feel good about that trade yeah i would i don't know if they will regret it because i think it was a gamble that was potentially worth taking but i think it's one that they're losing you know yeah so it depends how you look at that like i i think you know, it was a it was a dice worth rolling because the payoff was potentially very big. But I don't think you're, it's coming up in your direction. So, at that point, would you rather have a wide receiver you could draft at the top of the second round, or would you rather have Chase Claypool? I think you would end up saying, yeah, we would take. I mean, just rewind to last year, right? Would you prefer Christian Watson or Chase Claypool? He was even right around that right, spot, even yeah. right now, right? And he's like, man, Watson, Christian Watson, George so, Pickens, yeah, that's even the Sky, kind of guy more like any of those second round receivers last year. That's the kind of decision they're going to be faced with when they sort of look back on it a bit. But I, I do think that you could make a pretty compelling case for why Claypool could have been very good yeah. in this offense and just doesn't seem to be. So that's the interesting move because everything else that the Bears have done stripping the roster look into the future everything was uh, was built for the future claypool was a future move but there was yeah. way more future risk attached to that yeah. move compared to others a second like a top of the second round pick is just such a valuable one if that had been a round lower you know if it had been a third round pick yeah like a high third yeah for claypool, then it's like yeah. absolutely that's a gamble well well worth taking even if it craps out you don't care it's a third round pick what the hell top of the second though you're like you can get a really good immediate impact player there yeah. And from a Steelers perspective, they're going to be able to replace Claypool pretty easily, cheaper, maybe a better player. Yeah. It'll go another position, of or, course, yeah. too. But the, right. the Steelers probably I mean, it's perfect for Pittsburgh. Like, again, Chicago, you can kind of see why, but they're losing that deal. And if they'd been able to do it for a round lower, I think it would have been perfect. All right. Is that it for that? Yeah. Rest in peace, Chicago Bears playoff hopes. It's over. It is over. It's Time for explain the grade? Yeah. All right, let's get to it. Explaining the grade. Um, I'm sure PSF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. All right, speaking of the Bears. Yes, speaking of the Bears. Justin Fields, the people want to know. Zero passing touchdowns last week. Two interceptions, a 76 passer rating, but a 90.4 PFF grade. 82 as a passer. Why? First off, he was really good overall. Yeah. Uh, better than the, the two that interceptions easy, huh? would show. Yeah, he was really good. The was a 55 yard touchdown. I'm, I'm losing the track. rushing was this, touchdown. Was this the 55 yarder? Was this the 71 yarder? They said the 55 yard touchdown. Sounds about right. Was fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, I, I described it from the through the terms of uh, QBR the other day and how they value rushing. That's a yards, special but, play. Like, because yeah. that's an RPO. You watch that play, um, the Packers 
Packers have him, they have a guy assigned to Justin Fields. Like, th- this was not a case where um, the Russian quarterback changed the math and you're, you've, you've got an extra guy, you know, and he's just sort of unblocked into space, which has happened, that happened the week before, right, where he just ran into a gap that nobody was in and yep. was gone. This, the Packers had it defended. They had a guy, a defensive back, um, assigned to him in the flat, one-on-one to take him down. I don't think he even touched him. Like, Justin Fields put a move on him, and he just fell over, and he ran. So immediately he's at the second level, and then outruns everybody into space. So Justin Fields' special ability turned a nothing RPO that was uh, schematically defended well. Like, everybody was where they were supposed to be from a Green Bay perspective, and he just beat it for a touchdown because he's better than they are. Like, he out-athleted the guy who was assigned to stop him in the backfield. That is very rare. Like, again, when you think of, I, I, I've started to do this this year, and I like to think of, you know, expectation for a quarterback, right? Yeah, yeah. What would Kirk Cousins do on that play? That's what you got to ask yourself, right? <laughs> what would Kirk Cousins do faced with an unblocked defensive back in the backfield designed to take him down, right? I don't think he'd sidestep that guy and run 50-something yards for a touchdown. I'm kind of with you there. Yeah. That's uh, not good. Would, would, would be not good. So, yeah, Fields creates a 55-yard touchdown pretty much out of nothing. Yep. Um, His best throw of the day also created a big play. That was a 56-yard pass to Equinemius St. Brown. And this is also part of the reason why I think the box score, the the five stats that create an emotional response in your brain about how well a quarterback played can can often lie. There's a 56-yard touchdown that it didn't go. I mean, 50-yard, 56-yard pass that didn't go for a touchdown. Yeah, he's like tackle at the five. Yeah. So, like, what's the difference if if he just happened to break, shrug off Jair Alexander? Or if they were five yards further in field position? If they were five, yard, five <laughs> yards further in field position, whatever it was, it would be a touchdown. Yeah. Passer rating goes way up. Your per, your perspective of fields, even though it wouldn't change the box score a ton, it would change, right? Oh, this guy threw zero touchdowns versus one or versus two. Um, so we see guys tackled at the one all the time. We see a touchdown can be a busted coverage for a one-yard touchdown. And, and, it, and it, they all count the same, mm-hmm. right? But they're not the same level of what you put into it. So this is one of the best throws of the week, hitting Equidemia St. Brown in stride. Yep. Had another big-time throw for you know, a 49-yarder to Nikhil Harry. When yes. he, once again, d- didn't have anything there. And had to escape pressure rolled to his left which is i mean you see some quarterbacks when they're moving to their left are physically incapable of even throwing forwards let alone like yeah. the pass that he released um in, in this play too when you talk about creating something out of nothing this is beginning of the fourth quarter it's first and 10 a pretty typical play call quick game to just kind of like keep the offense on schedule so fields took a quick game which is you're trying to get five to seven yards gets a second and short he took a quick game call had nothing there and then scrambled out, turned it into a big-time throw in a 49-yard 49 49 yard play. So that was a really good big-time throw there. Um, the two interceptions. Um, the last one in particular, the end of the game, was bad. He gets a bad grade for that. Yeah. Um, the other one was, was iffy. And it was, timing-wise, it ends up you know thwarting any uh, comeback of, for the Bears. They were down one. But um, Equinemia St. Brown runs a pretty bad route. I still think Fields left it behind a little bit, and it's... It, but this was kind of bad all around. It was also, by the way, an incredible jump by Jair Alexander. It was, like, it was, was incredible. All Alexander. over that. Um, it's a. It was. I don't think it was a good play call, to be honest. Like the, it's mirrored concept. It's just a deep, uh, you know, like a deep stick route on the left, one on the right. 
neither one of them are going to be open because of the coverage Green Bay are playing. I like I think the call or the the what Fields should have done is just check it down over the middle because nothing's open. There wasn't yeah, there was the check down over the middle, especially on first and ten. He took a shot and he's this is part of the reason I think or part of the problem where just bad supporting cast comes back to hurt you, right? Like if that's again, what would Kirk Cousins do? If Kirk Cousins takes that shot and it's Justin Jefferson, it I mean it might not be a catch, but it's probably not an interception either. You know what I mean? Just because you have a better wide receiver instead of Equinemius and Brown just kind of watching it, you have Justin Jefferson who's going to go and fight for it and at least make it a contested target and probably doesn't get picked off. But you know, it, I his his turnovers there weren't good, but it's everything else that was amazing. Yeah, and so when you when you add it all up, um, what was his final? Just trying to click on his final stat line really quick. Ten point two yards per attempt, eighty four percent adjusted completion rate, and we're not sort of factoring in when you look at the box score the seventy one rushing yards and a touchdown. Yeah, and so he didn't have a ton of incompletions or ones that were his fault, right? Yeah. So there weren't a lot of downgrades in there for Fields. The the two biggest downgrades were interceptions, and there's a lot of positives, big time throws in there, and the rush and the running ability. So. It was an 82 passing grade. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't an incredible passing grade. It was a good passing grade. But he basically did Great rushing good. ability on uh, unlimited opportunities, and that was it. He basically did something good almost every time he touched the ball, except for the two bad plays he had, which get, you know, appropriately downgraded. But that's a lot of good to be showing up in, with a, in a game with. All right, what else do you want to cover here on Explain the Grade? Uh, that was it. We'll just do the one this week. Just do the Justin Fields thing. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Smart move. We have no interview today. No, no interview. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Eh. We're right about an hour. We can't do a show under an hour. It's in our contract. We can't right. do a, we can't do a, a quick hitting, shorter show. Yeah. So we got to drag this out for another two minutes. I, I don't know if that's good radio. Or no, it's probably podcast not. Podcast or whatever. We it is. talk more about whatever Manscaped. This medium is. We talk more about our friends at Manscaped. You could. They didn't go jingle balls to the wall this time. They didn't. But maybe we're saving that for, for Christmas week. That was a good one. Manscapes.com slash PFFNFL. Mm-hmm. That's where you want to go. All right, man. That was a crisp. Yeah. Crisp. I mean, look, we'll be back tomorrow for another three-hour marathon. Yeah, that's true. It's true. If you're, if you're going to miss us, don't <laughs> worry. We'll be back tomorrow. It's a weird short week. Six teams on bye here Yeah. in early December. Yeah. Don't, don't know what's happening. I don't understand why there's still buys happening, or at least why they didn't why they suspended buys and then went back to them. Yeah, we'll have to get the uh, the schedule guy on here to discuss. After that, I think buys are over though. Then we really have to work hard. We got four more weeks of action after that. We gotta cover every game. Mm. So yeah, we'll save our voices for that. Anyway, we appreciate everybody for tuning in to all of our shows, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thanks for tuning in today, and we'll be back again tomorrow previewing all of the Week 14 NFL action.